0: We are witnesses. Um, This week we're in Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. If you're a guest today, thank you for coming. I never take any of you for granted. I wish I could give a group hug sometimes. I was sitting in the back this morning just watching people come in, thanking God for every person. You you are a treasure, every one of you. I'm glad God has you here. And if we can do anything to make your stay better, let us know. And uh, we have people standing by to help and answer questions and some great people to pray with us. In the prayer room. You know, I love being a witness for Jesus. I don't know that I'm a great one, but I love talking to people about Jesus. And I learned a long time ago that there's no burden that for me because I can't save anybody, and God's not asking me to. He's simply asking me to be a vessel through whom He can speak. That's what this whole series in the book of Acts is about to learn how God has designed the church to work and how you and I have a continuing part. In this ongoing kingdom witness Phil did a great job last week helping us to understand the connection with Luke's first volume the gospel of Luke and the continuing story in the book of Acts and when you get to Acts chapter 2 the power they were talking about in Luke and the power it was promised in Acts 1 actually comes and often this long chapter is split up and chopped up into so many sections you lose the flow of it so I at least want to read today a good section of it, so you can see what God was doing when he sent the power to be his witnesses. This is the way Luke wrote it in Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, like little flames, that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? By the way, the Galileans had a distinctive accent. They were easily recognized and weren't always known for their eloquence. So to hear these people speaking like this was a real attention-getter. Then, how is it that each of us hears them in our, our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, "'I will pour out my Spirit on all people. "'Your sons and daughters will prophesy, "'your young men will see visions, "'your old men will dream dreams. "'Even on my servants, both men and women, "'I will pour out my Spirit in those days, "'and they will prophesy. "'I will show wonders in the heavens above "'and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. I've had the privilege of standing by that tomb. It's really there. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has promised from the Father, or he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the holy spirit the promise is for you and your children and for all who excuse me all who are far off for all whom the lord our god will call with many other words he warned them and pleaded with them save yourselves from this corrupt generation those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. Let's pray together. God, we're not accustomed to seeing this kind of power, this kind of spiritual power. But this is the very same mission you've given to all of us. And you've supplied the very same power to see it happen. So today, God, as we open up this word, would you inspire us to realize all over again the privilege and the joy of joining with these people and believers like them throughout the centuries, who have become the very witnesses of God. And we'll thank you for all that you'll show us. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was uh, going off to Bible college, I went to work for a city park department to earn money to help go to school. And uh, it was in Washington state. And we had lots of power tools. We had mowers and edgers, trimmers and chainsaws. We had trenchers and backhoes. And whenever I was given a job to do, they always gave me the right tools and a can of gas to go with it. Because if you've ever tried to use power tools without gas, you know exactly why they gave me the gas. Now my boss never asked me to do a job for the city without giving me the tools and the power needed to do it. Over the years as a Christian, I've learned that God is no different. He asks us to do certain things for the kingdom work that he's called us to. But God will never call you to do that work without giving you the tools to do it and the power to see it done. That's why when Jesus spoke to the disciples after the resurrection, he told them what they were to be and what they were to do. In Luke 24, verse 46, he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. God has called us to be witnesses. Witnesses to his death, burial, and resurrection. Witnesses to his kingdom that has come. We who know him are to make him known. And as we saw last week, God is not going to call us to that without supplying the power. As Phil so beautifully taught us last week, we are witnesses to the kingdom of God in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is why. Jesus told the disciples in Luke 24, verse 49, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You're going to be my witnesses, but don't try this in your own strength. It'll fail. You wait until you are clothed with power that God is going to send you. And so the people obeyed that, and they waited, and they waited. That's why when you get to Acts 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, still waiting in obedience for what God had promised. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The day of Pentecost had come. Pentecost is the word for 50th. And it was measured like this. The day after the Passover, which was always on the 14th day of Nisan, about our April, the next day, the 15th of their month, they began to count off seven Sabbaths, seven weeks, 49 days. And the day after the seventh Sabbath would be Pentecost, the 50th day after Passover. And that used to be, A celebration of the Jewish first fruits. That's what Pentecost was about. The first fruits of the beginning of the grain harvest. On this day, when people had counted off those weeks and had waited, the day of Pentecost comes, which is the celebration of the first fruits of the harvest. And here is the day that God sends the Holy Spirit to fill the people who proclaim the word and the power that came with it and the first fruit of the harvest begins right there in Jerusalem. Pentecost was the day of harvest. The church was born. The witness had begun. And the Spirit came in three tangible forms, in the sound of wind, in flames that looked like fire that came to rest on them, and in speech. God had their attention. The power of God was being poured out, and Peter and the other disciples began to witness to the meaning of the cross, his burial, and resurrection. They were kingdom witnesses. The gospel was proclaimed, and 3,000 people who were part of the first harvest came to Christ that day. The church was born, the witnessing community was established, and God's power came on them from on high to make them his witnesses. And that same power and that same mission has been given to you and to me who are followers of Jesus. And we learn from Acts 2 that God is the one who supplies the power for us to be his kingdom witnesses. But how does he supply that power? He supplies it in the person of his Holy Spirit and in the message of the gospel. God supplies the power for his witnesses in the person of the Holy Spirit. Luke put it like this in chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit came from God to empower the people in a whole new way. People, the Holy Spirit had always been there. The Holy Spirit is eternal God. He had been ministering in Israel prior to Pentecost, but now after Pentecost, he was going to be ministering in a whole new, powerful way. You know, I was reading an illustration by John Piper, who was a former pastor at uh, Bethlehem Baptist in Minneapolis. He is the head of Desiring God Ministries, well-known author and speaker all over the world. I've had the privilege to get to know John a little bit. Uh, Every time I hear him speak, I wonder if I'm a Christian. This guy, it's amazing. Anyway, he was writing one time about the difference of the ministry of the Holy Spirit prior to Pentecost and the ministry of the Holy Spirit after Pentecost, in the day that you and I are living. And here's what he wrote. He said, I want you to picture a huge dam for hydroelectric power under construction like the Aswan High Dam on the Nile River in Egypt, 375 feet high, 11,000 feet across. It was Egypt's President Nasser that announced a plan for its construction in 1953. It was completed in 1970, and it was opened in 1971 with a grand dedication ceremony where 12 turbines with their 10 billion kilowatt power was unleashed through the Nile River to power the entire country of Egypt. Now, during the long period of construction, the Nile River wasn't completely stopped. Even as the reservoir was filling, part of the river was allowed to flow past. The country folk downstream depended on it. They drank it. They washed in it. They watered their crops with it. It turned their mill wheels. They sailed on it. They wrote about it. It was their life. But on the day when the reservoir poured through the turbines, a power was unleashed that spread far beyond the few folk downriver and brought possibilities they had never even dreamed of. Well, Pentecost, John wrote, is like the dedicatory opening of the Aswan High Dam. Before Pentecost, the river of God's spirit blessed the people of Israel, and he was their life. But after Pentecost, the power of the Spirit spread out to light the whole world. None of the benefits enjoyed in the pre-Pentecostal days were taken away, but 10 billion kilowatts were added to enable the church to take the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, to every nation, tribe, language, and tongue in the world. People, that's our mission. It's called the Great Commission. And God is the power behind that in the person of his Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1, verse 8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts or to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, Jesus said and it's going to supply the power you need to be my witnesses here, near, and far away. And that power that used to come upon people for a season was now going to live in them. It was going to dwell in them. And when Peter stands up in front of the crowds gathered at the temple courts that day, he explained the meaning of everything that they saw that was happening. He said, this was the fulfillment of God's prophecy through Joel. This was the fulfillment of God's promise through Jesus, And this was the sign of God's presence with his people. The power God had promised had finally come to his witnesses. And that power was displayed in Peter's sermon. That's why in Acts 2, it says in verse 14, When Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. This was the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. You see, 800 years before, God, through the prophet Joel, predicted the coming of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a phrase you'll see a lot in Scripture because it refers to a day, any day, where God intervenes in the history to fulfill his purpose and his promise. And there are days where the day of the Lord comes. This was one of them, where God intervened to fulfill the promise of the pouring out of his Holy Spirit coming to live in the people who are followers of Jesus. Now, Joel's prophecy spoken 800 years earlier was also a prophecy of Israel's history and our history, of a future judgment and a future reign of the Messiah. But right in between the preaching of Israel's history and the promise of a future kingdom is the preaching of the coming of the Holy Spirit in in Joel chapter 2. He foretold a time when God would pour out His Spirit on all people and a new age of prophecy would begin. Now, prophecy confuses a lot of people. We make it a lot more complicated than we need to. Prophecy has two aspects. There is the forth telling part, which is what these prophets did. They predicted the future. They foretold what God was going to do. The fulfillment in Acts 2 is part of that. But there is a forth telling or a proclamation side of prophecy where you're not predicting anything. You're proclaiming, what God has given you to proclaim. That's the prophetic side of prophecy. It is the for, forth part. And so what Joel was saying was there's going to come a day when God's going to pour out His Spirit upon people on men and women, young and old, boys and girls, and they are going to be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what was happening that day at Pentecost. A new age of prophecy had begun. Now... Everybody who was a follower of Jesus was a follower of Jesus because the Holy Spirit had come to live in them. And when the Holy Spirit came to live in them, he was going to empower them to be witnesses. And so, Peter said in verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now there is a sense that in verses 19 and 20 when it talks about wonders in heaven and signs below and blood and fire and smoke and the sun being dark and the moon to blood, there was a sense that some of those signs accompanied this period. Because when Jesus died on the cross, it grew dark at noon, earthquakes began to shake, the temple curtain was torn, many of the signs of the judgment of sin were poured out at that time. But we know that Joel wasn't referring just to that. He's referring at a time yet in the future when those signs and wonders and powerful displays are going to be the evidence to let the entire world know Jesus Christ is coming again. And you got to be ready. And everyone We'll see it. No one are, is going to miss his second coming. But in the meantime, Joel said, the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on people and they're going to prophesy. It was the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. But it was also the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. Do you remember that what Jesus told the disciples at the Last Supper? John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live On that day, on that day when the Holy Spirit comes that I'm promising, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus told the disciples that night, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. In fact, I'm going to come to you in a whole new way. I'm going to come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm with you right now, but I'm going to be in you. And on that day, when that spirit comes, you're going to know that I'm with you because you're going to see the power that only I can display. People, it's Jesus who lives in us. If you're a Christian today, it's Jesus living in you in the person of his Holy Spirit. And when we witness to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, when we share the good news of the gospel, do you understand today? It's not you doing it. It's Jesus in you doing it. He is continuing his witness, the very witness he promised he would fulfill through us if we would only give him our mouth and give him our life and let him speak what he wants to say to a lost world, what he wants them to hear. We are the witnesses. It's Jesus who's doing the speaking through us. You and I can't save anybody, but God can. And he does when the Holy Spirit speaks. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, Paul said, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. Jesus speaking through you is not going to pronounce curses on himself. When God's speaking, no one's speaking of Christ. Or when Christ is speaking, he's not going to do that. Jesus, no one's going to say that. But they're going to say, Jesus is Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. Even the great apostle Paul knew that people weren't going to be saved by his eloquence or human persuasion, but it will be the, by the power of God's Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, Paul said, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the guy who wrote half the New Testament and is the greatest missionary that ever lived. He said, I didn't do this. Jesus did it. I came to you in weakness with fear and great trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Peter got up and proclaimed that day. This is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. And it was also the sign of God's presence with his people. Do you remember the words that Jesus gave to the disciples after the resurrection when he met them in the north in Galilee? Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus said, you go out and proclaim this gospel as my witnesses, and I'm going to be with you always in that mission. You'll never do it alone. It'll never be you speaking on your own. How is he going to be with us always? In the person of his Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came to indwell believers, it was the fullness of God coming to live in them and be with them all this, always. People, do you see how freeing this is? to have the burden lifted to know that I'm not responsible to save anybody because I can't. All God's asking me to be is a witness, to let him speak through me, to tell other people, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that you're a sinner and that Jesus died for you? He paid for that sin. He was buried in a tomb and rose again the third day, and he's alive today. And he's offering hope and forgiveness and eternal life to everyone who will believe and receive him. When you share that as a witness, you're putting out the message that the Holy Spirit can use to cause people to see their need to call on the Lord. And Peter said in verse 21, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And not only by the power of his Holy Spirit, but God supplies the power for his witnesses in the message of the gospel. It says in Acts 2, verse 22, Peter got up and said, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. The death burial and resurrection. Now I've known for a long time from the very beginning that I couldn't save anybody. But that doesn't stop me sometimes from trying. And I try to talk people into it and I try to do all their arguments, and I find that it doesn't get me very far, because winning arguments and giving information isn't what saves people. The power is in the gospel, the simple message of the gospel. And God taught me this early on in a ministry Carla and I had while we were going to school up at Multnomah in Portland, Oregon. And while we were going to school full-time, I was um, leading the middle school, high school, and college group in small groups, and we were preaching on Sunday nights or when the pastor was gone. And so it gave me a chance to get really involved in the life of the church and learn a lot of things I needed to learn. Well, we spent a lot of time with these kids. We had them at the house all the time. We built relationships with them. We loved it. A few years ago, I mentioned this experience in a different context, but I want to share it with you again to show you the power of the gospel. There was this guy, this college kid named Jeff, way smarter than me, which is not hard for anybody to believe. But anyway, this kid... Was a real intellectual, an intellectual agnostic. He wasn't sure what he believed, but he knew he wasn't sure he believed in God. So he always had questions, tons of them. And he was always trying to shoot holes in Christianity. So we met together all the time over a two-year people, over a two-year period. So I discussed with him the cosmological, ontological, and teleological arguments for the existence of God, and we had powerful conversations. And I think I won most of those debates, and nothing changed in his life. I spent time giving him the proof of creation over evolution, the reliability of the Bible as the Word of God, the necessity of the cross, the evidences of the resurrection. And I believe I won most of those arguments, and there was no change in his life. So, man, for two years, I'm winning all the arguments. I'm giving him tons of information. And one day, in frustration, because there was no change, I opened my Bible to Romans 5, 8. I still remember I spun the Bible around. I slid it over to him, and I said, Jeff, read that out loud. He looked down. And he said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he sat there staring at the Bible, even saying a word. And pretty soon I see a tear drip out of his eye. He started crying. You see, Jeff became overcome with the truth that there is a God who loves him and was willing to die for him. You see, as hard as this may be to believe, in two years of winning all those arguments and all the evidences, I never opened my Bible and actually shared the gospel with Jeff because I thought all the arguments were going to win him, And they didn't. And they never do. I learned that day that the power for salvation isn't in winning theological, philosophical, and historical arguments. We need to know those things. But you can be a great witness without knowing any of those things. If you know the gospel and can tell people that God loves them and died for them and rose again and is alive today offering them hope, forgiveness, and eternal life, you can be one of the most powerful witnesses that walks the planet because the power is in the gospel. Peter stood up in the temple courts that day and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. He told them that Jesus lived, died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. The Apostle Paul told people in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is the most important message you'll ever know or ever share. That's so why Paul said the gospel message has the power to save people. In fact, it is the very power of God. Romans 1 verse 14, he said, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I don't know if he thought the Romans were the wise or the foolish, but he said, whatever you are, I'm coming. I want to tell you about this good news. And look at this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It is the power of God. It's the Greek word dunamis, from where we get our word dynamite. The gospel is the very dynamite of God when it comes to sharing the good news. The the power of the gospel can melt the coldest heart. You can't, I can't, but the gospel can. It can shatter the hardest heart. It has that power, it is the power for salvation. It exposes sin and reveals the very righteousness of God. I don't know if you've ever heard of George Whitefield. He preached back in the 1700s, led revivals across New England. I was reading an account of a farmer from Connecticut, my home state, named Nathan Cole, who attended an an outdoor air preaching event by George Whitefield, the great evangelist. Now, George Whitefield preached the gospel probably as powerful as anybody who's ever walked in anywhere in the world. This guy, God's power was on this guy. Benjamin Franklin once wrote that he went to hear Whitefield preach. There were so many people, he could only get about a half mile from the platform he was speaking on. This is before the age of microphones. He said he climbed up in a tree, and when Whitefield began to speak, speak, the power of his voice was so strong, he had to grip the tree. He felt like it was going to knock him out of the tree, a half a mile away. Benjamin Franklin wrote that. That was not George Whitefield. That is the power of God going out in the gospel. Well, this guy, Nathan Cole, the farmer from Connecticut, said he was in the crowd listening to Whitefield preach. And he said, my hearing the good news of Jesus gave me a heart wound. By God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up, and I saw that my righteousness would not save me. Why did Nathan Cole say that? He had a heart wound and realized what? I don't have what it takes to be saved. I never will. Because Paul said the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. When you hear the good news of the death, burial, and Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God takes the power of the gospel and convinces people of the righteousness of God. And when you see the righteousness of God, you become immediately aware, I don't have that. And if that's what it takes to be saved, I'm done. I'm done. I need a savior. That's why the gospel must be preached. The righteousness of God is revealed. That's why when we witness at some point, you have to use words. You have to use God's words. Living a good life, being a good neighbor, being a light at work is good, but that won't save anybody. They're just going to think, wow, what a great person sharing your testimony evidences for the reliability of the Bible or running theological arguments isn't going to save anybody. What they need to hear is the gospel. You've probably heard it said, play the music of the gospel and when necessary share the words of the gospel. That's not right. That's not right. You play the music of the gospel. You live the life that God has come to live in you. It makes you a different person. You treat people a different way. You respond to them in ways that you wouldn't on your own normally do, and they see that. You play the music of the gospel. You're honest at work. You're hardworking. You tell the truth. You're an exemplary employee. You're a great neighbor. People see that. You're playing the music of the gospel. But you play the music of the gospel to earn the right to share the words of the gospel. So that when you tell these people, you want to know why I'm living like this? It's not me. Jesus has done this in me. He's the one who saved me. This is how he did it, and he can do it in you. Then the music they've heard doesn't conflict with the words they're hearing, and they can put together with the Holy Spirit. He'll use that to reveal they need to be saved. We must share the words of the gospel. There's power in it. What happened when Peter shared it? Verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. It's a phrase to mean stabbed violently. They were pierced. The word literally is the word stunned by a stabbing. The Spirit of God took the gospel and stabbed the people with it, stunned them with it. They were pierced through their heart. Their sin was exposed, their guilt was undeniable, and their response was immediate. What shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. People, we have the same Holy Spirit, we have exactly the same message of the gospel, and we have the same power in us that was in Peter and the other apostles that day. And what happened when they were faithful to proclaim the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit? 3,000 people believed, and the church was born. The witness was established. The harvest had begun. And people, that's what has been commissioned to you and me. That's why Paul would go on to tell the Romans in Romans 10, blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news. Where would I be today if people hadn't shared it with me? Where would I be today if the Christians that were in my life just lived a good life but never told me the good news? I wouldn't have known why they were living the way they were. And I just thought, man, these are great people. It was the gospel that changed me. It's the gospel that's still saving people. I shared it for 20 years with my mom. 20 years. And it wasn't until shortly before her death she told me that finally she understood that somehow she believed and she invited Christ into her life. People, 20 years. 20 years. I don't always know the timing that God is going to use. But I knew one thing. I needed to know that my mom heard the gospel. I knew she did. I shared that same gospel with my little brother, Gary, who never believed, never received. He dropped dead of a heart attack in his mid-50s. He was dead before he hit the street. My brother most likely is in hell today. It's hard for me even to think about. Did I fail in being a witness to him? No. Did I succeed in being a witness to my mom? No. I was the same witness in both places. The power is not me. I can't save anybody, and neither can you. And God's not asking us to. What he's asking us to do is to give God the opportunity to use this Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel to save people when they hear it. So I need to ask you today, who's in your life? Who's in your family? Who is your neighbor? Who do you work next to? You're not there by accident. The eternal God has put you there. And if you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in you, he's not asking you to save anybody. But he's telling you, you're a witness you're either a good one or a bad one, but you're a witness. So let me speak through you. Let me do as I've always done and wanted to do. Let me use your mouth and your life to sow the good news. The power you need, that'll come from the Holy Spirit. The power you need, it's in the gospel that you're sharing. You know, I don't know if you know Corey Ten Boom. i got to end this quick, but Corey Ten Boom, was a lady famous for living as a Jewish believer in Jesus. She lived through the Holocaust of Nazi Germany in World War II. When she survived, um, she told stories of how she would share the gospel, and she and her sister would do so much to help so many people in those horrendous environments. And she and her family did a lot to try to help save people from the concentration camps, but also to share Christ with them. She, after that survival, she went on to live a number of years. She wrote books. She spoke all over the world. And many, many people came to Christ. Whenever, whenever people would start applauding Cory Ten Boom, this sweet little old lady, they would start applauding her for how powerful a witness she was and how many people she had left to Christ, she would, she would tell them this story. She would say, you know, a woodpecker went out to peck on a tree, and as he started pecking, a lightning bolt hit the tree and blew it apart. And the woodpecker flew away saying, Wow. I never knew there was so much power in my beak. (laughs) And Corey Denboom would tell people, don't be a silly woodpecker. The power's not in me. The power's not in you. The power's from God. We're the witnesses. And when we're willing to let him use our mouth in our life, God will supply the power through his Holy Spirit. And through the gospel itself. And when you do that, people may call on the Lord. And as Peter said in verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We are his witnesses. God, thank you for this reminder. It has put so much meaning and purpose and excitement back in my life. I've always loved talking about you, but just going through the book of Acts again and seeing what we're a part of and how the ministry continues with us and who you've called us to be has put so much hope and so much fire and so much joy in the opportunities you raise up every day for us to have the joy of just putting out a word. We don't know what people are going to do with it. We don't know if they're going to laugh or cry. or We don't know if they're going to come to Christ or not. That's all your work. But thank you that we don't save anybody. Thank you that it's you who does. We are the witnesses. Thank you for the people in this room who do that well. Thanks for all the people listening online who do that well. And God, help all of us to see every opportunity we've got, whether here, near, and far away to the nations, to be faithful, to be the witnesses, and you will supply the power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.